Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. We want to give you top-grade information so we can focus on our wellness and our path toward optimal health. It is important that we take steps to be well. It is important that we build our immunity. That is our best shot for remaining well in any challenging times. And these are challenging times. We have COVID. We want to know what we can do to build up our immune system so we can be well. So today we have a guest, Dr. Jeffrey Barkey. And have you heard of the Frontline Doctors? Uh, they've been advocating for wellness as well. So Dr. Barkey is in this group. So telling you about Dr. Barkey, he is a board-certified primary care physician in primary practice for over 25 years. He completed his medical school and family practice residency at the University of California, Irvine. He served as an associate clinical professor at UC Irvine and a board member of the Orange County Medical Association. Is also a reserve deputy and tactical physician for local law enforcement SWAT team. He also served as an elected board member for the Los Alamitos Unified School District for 12 years and is a co-founder and current school board chair of the Free Public Charter School in Orange, California. It's called the Orange County Classical Academy that uses the Hillsdale's College curriculum. He is the author of COVID-19 a physician's take on the exaggerated fear of the coronavirus. He is sought after speaker on the failure of government education in all things related to COVID-19. He is a proud founding member of the American's Frontlines Doctor. And you can find him on his website, which is rxforliberty.com. Welcome, Dr. Barkey. We want to hear what you have to say. So what do you have to tell us about COVID and how do we be well? Well, thank you so much for having me on. It, it truly is an honor, and I think there's so much to talk about COVID that, unfortunately, the American public, by and large, is not allowed access to. There's many of us doctors, both part of America's frontline doctors and others, that when we speak out and we disagree with the mainstream narrative, our voice is silenced. We're not allowed in the mainstream media, social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the like, all censor us and either put warnings over what we're saying or ban us altogether. And I think it's a shame because that's not science. And I think when um, politics and science interact, patients get harmed, and that's what we've seen. I truly believe that if we were allowed to have a robust discussion and debate about the science of COVID-19, that a lot of patients would not have had to die from this illness. And what I mean by that is that we have known for the past year that we have excellent treatment for COVID when you treat this illness early with the mildest stages. 
But that narrative and that information that we can actually treat this disease with repurposed medicines when you treat early has been completely shut down, and it's only recently um, that we're able to get our message out. And so I'm here to tell people really that COVID is a very serious illness that needs to be taken serious, but it's serious if you're in a high-risk group and dangerous if you're in a high-risk group. But if you're not in a high-risk group, if you're young and otherwise healthy, this is not something that you should fear. We've approached this disease completely wrong for the first time ever that I can remember we decided that it was a good idea to quarantine the healthy, and we've never done that before. And as a result, in my opinion, our reaction to COVID-19 has caused more harm than good. It's not the virus that has devastated our economy. It's not the virus that has kept our schools closed for over a year. It's not the virus that caused the highest level of depression and suicide that we've ever seen since the Great Depression. And it's not the virus that has caused more teen suicide deaths than teen deaths from COVID-19. All that was because of adults that were making terrible decisions, and those decisions were influenced by politics, not by science. The science is pretty clear on a lot of things uh, related to COVID, and locking down the economy was not one of them. So it's very unfortunate the approach that we've taken over the last year. I'm hopeful moving forward that we'll see a different approach so we stop harming people because of our reaction to this pandemic. How have we harmed people? We've harmed people. Well, let's look at the children, for example. We've harmed our children by shutting our schools down when it was absolutely unnecessary to shut our schools down. So we know from CDC's own data that if you're less than 20 years old, and less than 20 means K-12, through um, if you're in the K-12 through age group, less than 20, and you get COVID, you've got a 99.997% survival rate. That number is so huge, it's almost hard to wrap our hands around it to understand what it means. So to put things in perspective, a young person has a much higher risk of dying as a result of seasonal influenza than they do of COVID-19. Yet we have never shut our schools during influenza season, and we have never mandated the masking of children during influenza season or any other respiratory season. And the science is crystal clear, and we've known about this for decades. It's not new, and it wasn't debatable until about a year ago. And the science I'm referring to are the studies after studies after studies that showed that wearing a face covering, a mask, to try to prevent a viral illness is ineffective. We've known about this for many years. And even during the early stages of the pandemic, we had all the major healthcare agencies telling us this exact message. So you may recall that in uh, March of uh, 2020, 
Our very own Dr. Fauci said, and I quote, and this is a 60-minute interview that he did, people should not be walking around with masks. It's not providing the perfect protection that people think it is. There are unintended consequences as people keep fiddling with their mask, keep touching their face, which may actually increase the risk. Close quote. That's from Dr. Fauci. But wait, there's more. Same month, 2020, the Surgeon General, Dr. Jerome Adams, said, and I quote, and this was a tweet that he later uh, removed, quote, stop buying masks. They're not effective in preventing the general public from catching hashtag coronavirus, unquote. The CDC director, Robert Redfield, about the same time, quote, there is no role for masks in the community. So on and on and on it went. Even HHS uh, Secretary Alex Azar um, basically said the same thing. Quote, our advice remains as it has been, has been meaning what we've known about for decades, that the average American does not need to wear a mask. The World Health Organization said the same thing, and I quote, the use of masks is insufficient to provide the adequate level of protection or other equally relevant measures should be adopted, close quote. And then my favorite, the single most prestigious medical journal in the United States, the New England Journal of Medicine, published a long article about mask wearing uh, outside of the hospital, uh, May of 2020, and I'm quoting, we know that wearing a mask outside healthcare facilities offers little, if any, protection from infection. And my favorite quote from this article is, and I quote, expanded masking protocols, greatest contribution may be to reduce the transmission of anxiety, close quote. And there's others as well from the Journal of the American Medical Association and so forth. This New England Journal of Medicine article, by the way, wasn't written by just some random schmo. This was written by physicians from Harvard Medical School and from Infectious Control Unit of Massachusetts General. So these are highly credentialed physicians that correctly assess the state of affairs in saying the studies we've seen over and over for the past decade clearly demonstrate the ineffectiveness of wearing a mask to prevent a viral illness. Yet shortly after all these articles and uh, statements were made by various people, everybody slowly reversed themselves, and now masking was mandated for the general population, not just people that are ill, where it may make some sense, but the healthy population, it was mandated. And most importantly and disturbingly, we were forcing our children to wear masks. I believe forcing a child to wear a mask uh, is a form of child abuse, especially in the classroom, sitting there for hours with their face covered. We saw increased risk, increased anxiety, increased depression, the inability to bond with your teacher that's so critical because there is no facial expression and recognition uh, is just um, is dangerous, unnecessary, and harmful to the children. So we, the adults, have done this to the children. There's no reason for it. You know who's going to benefit most? 
the psychologists that are going to have customers for many, many years to come as our children recover from basically a post-traumatic stress event over this last year. Children don't have the intellectual capability and the emotional capability uh, to effectively respond. Um, they don't, they're not given a choice like an adult. Uh, they are forced to put these face coverings on. They were forced to stay out of school with their colleagues and so forth. And, um, and it's very, very unfortunate. And now with the vaccine, they're coming after our children again. And it doesn't make any scientific sense to be vaccinating a child. No sense at all. In fact, I think the vaccine is more dangerous than beneficial in a child, and we should stop this madness immediately. Wow. So it's interesting what is behind uh, this forcing uh, face nappies and vaccines, but let's get to the alternative approaches. Aren't there uh, early treatments that studies actually show help with COVID? We've known about uh, early treatments for over a year now. Uh, there were studies out of France and China and elsewhere that showed repurposed medication can work wonderful uh, to battle this virus. And the first that was used is hydroxychloroquine. Um, we still use it today effectively. There's been more and more studies showing the effectiveness. Um, but unfortunately, um, President Trump made mention of hydroxychloroquine early in the pandemic, and it immediately became a political drug. I think there's other motivations to pushing down and not allowing repurposed medications to be used. One of those may be that for a vaccine to be authorized under emergency use authorization, that's how all the vaccines are being used, the FDA rules say that if there is an alternative effective treatment, then there is no reason to authorize anything under emergency use authorization. Here's an example. So we're all familiar with strep throat. You get a bad sore throat, you go into the doctor, they do a little swab. Five minutes later, they have a diagnosis that you have strep throat, specific type of bacteria that infects the throat. We've got a whole host of antibiotics that effectively treat strep throat. So imagine now I'm a pharmaceutical company and I have a new drug that I want to be authorized that's effective against strep throat. And I go to the FDA and I say, this drug is so good that I want you to authorize it under emergency use authorization. The FDA would say, well, why would we do that when we've got four or five other medications that adequately treat strep throat so there is no reason to authorize anything under emergency use because we already have very effective treatment? So if it was publicized and agreed upon that hydroxychloroquine and or ivermectin and other treatments that we have available were effective, then there would not be an allowance to authorize under emergency use authorization uh, the bringing forward of a vaccine. So I think that's one reason that there are financial incentives for the FDA and the CDC for that matter to lean in the direction of wanting to authorize these vaccines under emergency use authorization. Keep in mind, and it's important for your audience to know most people don't realize this, 
back in the mid-1980s, uh, uh, vaccine companies were given immunity from liability against the products that they make, meaning if you're harmed by a vaccine, regardless of which one it is, you are not allowed to sue the vaccine company because a law was passed that prevents you from suing. They have immunity from liability. At the time, maybe it made some sense because the vaccine companies were getting sued all the time, spending a lot of money to defend themselves. They went to the government and said, we can't keep doing this. We're going to need to stop making vaccines and there won't be any available for the population unless you give us immunity. So through a series of discussions and events, ultimately, President Reagan signed this law that gave vaccine companies immunity. So what incentive now does a vaccine company have to make absolutely certain that their product is safe? Um, certainly there's no liability, so they don't have that incentive that they might be sued if they hurt somebody. Uh, but the other problem is not only do they have immunity, but they have the perfect business model. And that is um, the government is mandating that the customer must purchase their product. In California, where I live, you are not allowed to go to school as a child unless you are fully vaccinated. That includes public schools and private schools. So you're required to get a vaccine from a company that's immune from liability. What a perfect business model. And these companies are making billions and billions of dollars. Also, the same organizations that are chartered to oversee these companies, the FDA and the CDC, are funded by pharmaceutical companies and vaccine companies. So there's a conflict of interest, and it never used to be that way. It used to be that it was just our taxpayer dollars that funded these um, government agencies. Uh, but over the years, um, they started accepting money from the pharmaceutical companies to fund some of the research and some of the oversight that they, uh, that they participate in. So imagine in the private sector where you're getting paid by a company that you're being hired to oversee. It would never fly. They have a name for that. It's called crony capitalism. But yet that's exactly what's happening in these, these government agencies. I'm not anti-vax. I am absolutely pro-placebo-controlled, safety-tested, informed consent for vaccinations. But I just am so worried about the way in which these COVID vaccines came to market very quickly. Normally, it takes five years, sometimes longer, to bring a new vaccine to market. Why? Because there's extensive testing that goes on with animal models before they ultimately go to human models. We always test on animals to make sure we're not going to harm humans. That was not done this time. Um, there was limited animal model testing done. The FDA gave a waiver to Moderna and Pfizer to bypass the usual testing that would occur, and these vaccines were approved in record speed. So these vaccines are being used under investigational emergency use authorization. They, they are using never-before-used technology in a vaccination called messenger RNA technology. Messenger RNA technology has been around for a long time, but it's never been used in a vaccine before. So we've got an investigational product, emergency use authorization, brand new technology, and limited safety. And now they want to inject our children. That makes no sense whatsoever. 
why would we inject a child who is at very, very low risk of having a bad outcome with COVID with an investigational vaccine being used under emergency use authorization with brand spanking new technology with limited testing? It makes no sense at all. That's why many of us are saying in a child, the risks outweigh the benefit and we should not be vaccinating our child, our children. Yet, here we go. We're pushing now to get children vaccinated before the opening of schools in the fall. We hear that from Dr. Fauci. We hear that from local state and county uh, government uh, leaders. And I think it's a big mistake. And fortunately, there are organizations like America's Frontline Doctors that are pushing back. They just filed suit in federal court, as well as Children's Health Defense, which is the organization run by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. uh, to go after this vaccine industrial complex, if you will, and prevent the unnecessary and potentially dangerous vaccinations uh, of our children. Aren't there a lot of uh, observations that children are coming up with myocarditis after the vaccine? Also, these shots have not been tested in pregnant women, and aren't they having a lot of adverse effects and miscarriages as well? Yes, you're absolutely right. So we're seeing now um, uh, that uh, younger folks that get this vaccine, uh, there's some, the, the CDC, thank goodness, is investigating this, myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle. Um, your uh, audience can also go to the VAERS website, V-A-E-R-S, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. This is a website that's run by the FDA and the CDC. So it's a government website, and it's designed to uh, collect adverse reactions from vaccines, not just the COVID vaccine, but all vaccinations. It's a passive reporting system. And what that means is I'm required as a physician, if I uh, see a patient who's been vaccinated and I understand that they've had a reaction, that I'm supposed to log in and report it. Now, I'll bet you that the majority of physicians don't even know about the existence of this website. Although recently, Uh, Because doctors like me and others have been speaking out, there's been a greater awareness of this website. And certainly the same thing with patients. They can self-report if they're injured or they have a side effect. So as of, you know, recently, last couple days, last time I looked at it, we're up to about 6,000 reported deaths with uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. To put that in perspective, you know, what does that mean? Well, Harvard did a study, I think it was Harvard, did a study a few years back to look at the reporting of the VAERS website, and they concluded that only about 1% of the adverse reactions ever make it up to the level of being reported to the VAERS website. So the question is, how does the reporting of COVID-19 compare to the reporting of all the other vaccines that we've been given over the years? Measles, mumps, rubella, polio, tetanus, Gardasil, shingles, uh, pneumonia uh, vaccinations, etc. And uh, I heard a report on this just the other day that said, if you look at the number of deaths from COVID-19, it far exceeds the totality of deaths from all the other vaccines combined over the last 15 years. And so there's a likelihood that this vaccination, COVID-19, could be potentially more dangerous than the other vaccines that have been around for many, many years. Now, to be 
accurate, I must say that this is a correlation, not a causation. So just because somebody reports a death to the VAERS system doesn't mean the vaccine caused that death, right? It's correlation, not causation. The idea of this website is to highlight problems to underscore it for the purpose of bringing it to the attention of the FDA and the CDC so they can do further investigations. Now, further investigations. Now, that means we're asking the FDA and the CDC that are in part funded by the vaccine companies to do the investigations that could lead them to conclude that the vaccine company's product uh, is harmful. So there is an inherent conflict of interest in that system and the mechanism by which vaccine companies and pharmaceutical companies are overseen. I've heard in some places, I don't know if there's any truth to this, but that physicians are strongly encouraged not to make such report, and some of them even threaten to lose their jobs if they make such reports, or is that just fake news? I, I don't know. I, I certainly haven't felt that pressure. It's not easy to report. It's a very cumbersome system, and it takes a lot of time to log on, to create an account, to wait. So it's a, it's a burdensome system for me or a patient to actually report, and I think that's one of the hurdles, that you go into the system, you try to report, you're clicking through, you're trying to figure it out, and you say, ah, oh, the heck with it. I don't have the time to sit in front of my computer for 45 minutes and try to make a report. Um, also, that's one of the hurdles and why many of these cases don't get reported, not to mention that there is just a very low awareness of the obligation to report uh, by, a phy- by physicians and uh, the general population of people that get vaccines aren't even aware that they can report there. So I, don't, I haven't personally experienced any pressure not to report for fear of losing my job or repercussions. I'm not aware of that happening, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me because we certainly know there are physicians that have lost their jobs because of their perspective on wanting to use repurposed medication for uh, early diagnosis. Like, for example, um, the, uh, the founder of America's Frontline Doctors, Dr. Simone Gold, who's both a, a board-certified emergency physician and a Stanford-educated attorney, uh, she was fired from her job uh, because she was wanting to prescribe hydroxychloroquine. The hospital she worked at had a Kaiser contract. Kaiser doesn't believe in hydroxychloroquine. And ultimately, her boss said, listen, we can't have you here advocating something that, the, that our contracted providers um, don't want us to do. So, you know, this isn't going to work out. So she was actually, she actually lost her job because of her uh, desire as a physician to treat her patient with a repurposed medication that had shown excellent benefit. And even today, same thing. Uh, the standard of care for treating COVID, sorry you're not feeling well, go home and isolate. And if you feel like you're about to die, then show up at the hospital. That's sort of the standard treatment in many areas of our country. And that's, that's abuse. That's malpractice, in my opinion. We know that early treatment works. We even have preventative treatment for people that are at high risk. Um, we have mechanisms with hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and supplements to help those patients preventatively from getting COVID, uh, let alone when they do get it, to treat it early with the mild symptoms that can be uh, very, very effective. That suppression of medical information, 
that we have effective early treatment, that you should be on vitamin D if your vitamin D level is low, something as simple as that, and that's not allowed to be distributed through mainstream media channels to the general population, I think that is malpractice and a crime, if you will. I believe we'd see significantly less deaths from COVID-19 if we were allowed to have that conversation and educate patients about early treatment, preventative treatment, and the importance of certain supplements. This is getting very interesting because the CEO of YouTube came out and said she's going to censor anything on vitamin C and curcumin. And we had a world-leading expert on vitamin C, Dr. Andrew Saul, come on. And his colleague, Dr. Chang, was actually in Wuhan treating people with vitamin C, yet that's censored. We had Dr. Grant come on, who's spoken a lot about vitamin D. I've seen the FTC April 15th promulgation that discussing publicizing, treating with these alternative treatments is subject to criminal prosecution. I interviewed uh, Dr. McCall yesterday who said it's illegal in Australia if you prescribe hydroxychloroquine, you can spend six months in jail. Something isn't right. So how many lives do you think were lost by the suppression of actual uh, studies, the best they could do on hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and other early treatment modalities? Well, you know, of course, we don't actually know that, so it's speculation. I've heard as much as 50, we'd have 50% less deaths if we were allowed to and we, uh, and we uh, publicized uh, the availability of early treatment. I don't know what the actual number is, but it's not insignificant. Um, I think we would have seen a lot less death uh, if we were allowed to treat uh, and use our skill set to do so. Uh, Peter McCullough is a hero. He, of course, is at a Baylor University, one of the most highly published physicians in the country, and he's been speaking out and rarely can get his voice through mainstream media. Um, and it's, it's very, very unfortunate. Can you imagine uh, being subjected to a fine or going to jail for using hydroxychloroquine? This is a medicine that's been around for 65 years, has an absolute stellar safety re- record, uh, is, is given... Uh, to millions of patients every single year on a daily basis to treat autoimmune disorders such as rheumatoid arthritis and systemic lupus. It's used routinely in third world countries to treat and prevent malaria. It would be hard to harm somebody with hydroxychloroquine if you wanted to. As a matter of fact, there's an argument that over-the-counter aspirin or Tylenol is more dangerous than hydroxychloroquine, yet this is nonsense that a physician would be fined or worse or jailed for using a benign, generic, cheap, and effective medication. It's a you know, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but in effect, it's a crime against humanity. We're killing people because we're not being allowed to effectively treat them in the early stages of mild disease. Imagine this. You have a woman newly diagnosed with breast cancer, and we tell her, so sorry that you have this cancer. Please give me a call if this cancer were to spread, and then we'll treat it. That's the equivalent. So sorry you have COVID that potentially can kill you. If you were to get sick and have shortness of breath and difficulty breathing, you then give me a call and we'll admit you to the hospital. That's malpractice. And that just is 
absolutely wrong uh, because we know that we can treat it. I've treated hundreds and hundreds of COVID patients, um, including many high-risk patients, effectively. When you treat early within the first few days of the onset of symptoms, um, it's not a difficult disease to treat. Uh, it's actually quite straightforward, and we've got a multitude of repurposed medications that work throughout the cascade of the illness, from viral replication to the inflammation that occurs as a result of COVID uh, to the potential blood clots that can occur as a result of COVID. Um, we've got treatment for every stage of this illness, and when we're allowed to treat early, um, patients do really well. Well, Dr. Brownstein, who's treated over 200 people, only one went to the hospital. He had one adverse event on a patient who got very late. Dr. Rowan, who actually went to Sierra Leone and treated Ebola patients successfully, all these people are shut down and they get warning letters from the FTC. And this is pretty scary. And one thing that occurs to me, Tylenol, I, I mean, does this make sense? That Why would you want to take Tylenol? It bleach your glutathione stores. And that's the last thing you want to do when you're fighting off an illness. Well, that's true, and, and uh, independent of that, too much Tylenol can, uh, can significantly hurt you. There's overdose deaths from Tylenol every year. Uh, too much aspirin can cause adverse bleeding reactions and so forth. There's a lot of over-the-counter over medication that people just take for granted uh, that can potentially harm you. And hydroxychloroquine is over-the-counter in many countries, uh, and, it's a, and it's a perfectly safe medication when used appropriately. If you look up Google this if you want for your audience. Uh, number of deaths from aspirin, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the year 2020, and you'll see it comes up. There's a lot of people that have died because of intestinal bleeding, allergic reactions, or what have you, to aspirin and all the over-the-counter medications. Hydroxychloroquine is safe, effective, as is the case with ivermectin, um, inhaled budesonide, an older generation Asthma steroid can work wonderfully well, and even the repurposed use of Luvox, a, uh, an, a, a antidepressant used primarily to treat obsessive-compulsive disorder, can also be a wonderful product to reduce the inflammation associated with COVID-19. The protocols are out there for treatment. Um, we're good at it when we can treat early with mild symptoms, yet we're not allowed to discuss this on mainstream media and certainly the social media will ban any discussion of early treatment, uh, either put a warning on it, shadow ban it, or completely delete the account uh, that brings this to the market. And it's quite puzzling, quite disturbing, and should be investigated. There's also a couple things that get my attention, like the academic press. I mean, uh, after Trump supported doxycycline, apparently Gilead Pharmaceuticals had some problems with their stock values. And all of a sudden, these false papers came out, one of them being in Lancet, saying that hydroxychloroquine can cause these adverse heart effects, which it doesn't. You can measure the QTS interval. You only need uh, three pills because it's got a long half-life. But this really... But the gabosh, there seems to be fraud going on in the, um, except for the BMJ, I've got a lot of respect for them. There seems to be a lot of fraud going on in academic publishing. And the journalists, where are they? Where are the investigative reporters? Why are they not even questioning? Yeah, I agree that journalists are, are complicit. And I'll, I'll tell you, for the first time ever I've seen, you had the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet, uh, generally considered two of the most prestigious 
medical journals in the world, they came out with studies uh, showing harm from hydroxychloroquine. And within hours of each other, both those studies needed to be retracted because they were bogus. And part of the study was done down in Brazil, and the physicians that were um, part of the study are now being investigated for murder. Why? Because they used um, lethal doses of hydroxychloroquine in hospitalized patients. And it's no wonder they concluded that hydroxychloroquine in lethal doses actually causes harm. No kidding. But when you use it in appropriate doses, uh, it, is a, it is a wonderful medication used for repurposed uh, reasons, and it's very, very safe and can be very effective. The government tells us to follow the science, but it sounds like they politicized the science. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's quite scary. When politics and science collide, uh, patients get hurt, and that's what we've seen during this COVID-19 pandemic over the last year, and it's, it's quite frightening what's happened. And, um, and I, I worry now about the credibility of both the, the science that has brought some of this forward, the agencies that are chartered with overseeing the pharmaceutical and vaccine companies, uh, and the government's response as a whole. It, uh, it, just, it really puts a stain on the whole system and, uh, and the next time something serious from a medical perspective comes around, um, a lot of us are going to be very, very suspicious uh, of government reaction to try to so-called help the population. But it even gets worse than that. I mean, looking at some Dr. Scott Jensen's work from Minnesota, he's looked at death certificates, and there are death certificates from uh, motor vehicle accidents, dementia. Locally, we had somebody commit suicide. That was a COVID death. The hospitals have been heavily incentivized, whatever the word is, to list it as a COVID death. And so this inflates the damage from COVID, and it's putting fear into the people. Fear into the people means they don't think straight. Their cortisol goes up. That's not healthy for them either. We're living in a culture of fear. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's, um, you know, it's really a form of, you know, my, my friend, psychiatrist, fellow America's frontline doctor, Mark McDonald, has coined this term. It's a, you know, a delusional psychosis. You know, a delusion in, in medical terms is a fixed false belief. And so that's exactly what's happened. The mainstream media and government officials have convinced the public to be very, very scared. And that fear is really driving compliance with whatever they're told from government officials, whether it's wear a mask, or that even if you're young and healthy, you should get a vaccination, despite the warning signs that this vaccination could be harmful to some, um, and that they, at least early on in the pandemic, they should stay out of churches, uh, they should stay out of mom-and-pop stores. We allowed the economy to be shut down at, out of the name of health. Nobody asked what the consequences of doing this was not to mention the medical harm that came by shutting down the entire medical establishment in this country. How many thousands of people missed their mammogram screening, colonoscopy screening, pap smear, routine physical, blood tests, on and on and on, and we're now seeing 
cancer being found at later stages because a lot of that screening was missed. Uh, patients are still frightened to go to the doctor for routine tests. Um, and we have harmed our population directly as a result of our reaction and our unnecessary edicts from the government. I truly believe when we look back, we are going to realize and see that our reaction to this pandemic was more harmful than the pandemic itself. And don't get me wrong, I am not denying that COVID-19 is a potentially dangerous viral infection. It is if you're in a high-risk group. If you're not in a high-risk group and you have access to early treatment with mild symptoms, it is not an illness that we should be fearing. There must be something wrong with my inbox. I have not yet received the memo that I should be personally scared of COVID. I go see COVID <laughs> patients, and what's the big deal? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe my mail is blocked or something. I don't understand this. But also interesting is things going on in the rest of the world. Doc, when I spoke to Dr. McCullough yesterday, and he's going to be on the radio show a week after this broadcast, um, he's saying that, like in Africa, there were stores of hydroxychloroquine that were kind of blown up, and they never heard of uh, any of the names that you've mentioned, uh, these big people that are in our government or any other big people that you can think of, and they thought it was some kind of operatives that came in and, and blew up the hydroxychloroquine stores. Also, uh, the second largest hydroxychloroquine producer in Taiwan, I mean, it must be just a total coincidence, kind of blew up. I mean, really strange. Coincidence is yeah, really it is, strange. It is, it is really it is really strange. I'm not sure I can tie all the pieces together, but let's remember that this started with a, um, a manufactured synthetic coronavirus that was uh, created under uh, gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Virology Lab. And um, more and more evidence is coming out that that theory is actually uh, the best theory. Um, that this did not spontaneously mutate from some horseshoe bat in the wet market uh, and then and then get into a human being. This was created through gain-of-function research in the Wuhan uh, virology lab. The only question I think that needs to be answered now is, was this virus released purposely um, or was it accidentally released? I don't know what the answer is to that. I have my suspicions, uh, especially as it relates to the uh, Chinese Communist Party. Why on earth would we be funding a Chinese Communist Party laboratory uh, to do gain-of-function research is beyond me and quite frightening. It makes no sense at all. They are not our friend. They are our enemy. And I think they may have purposefully or accidentally caused this pandemic to occur. Well, whatever the answer to that question is, uh, that's not the, yeah, we won't know. But what I've read is that the U.S. at some point, when they were funding this research, because the goal was to make this coronavirus so it's more contagious and it sticks to people more, creating more damage, is that the U.S. government said no. So then there's very one prominent uh, person that we see masked on a TV all the time said, okay, let's put $3.3 million into the Wuhan lab to continue this. Now, the new... I mean, I somehow or the knew over a year ago, just instinctively, 
instinctively, yeah, I mean, I assumed accidentally got out of that lab. Oh, the newspapers are saying that's false news, that's insurrection, that's whatever word they want to come up with, the data, the word de jour. And then now it's people are beginning to look at it again. Uh, where were the journalists? And anyway, and now I heard that uh, President Biden wants to shut down this inquiry. Well, what's going on? Yeah, it does. It really there. There's something very nefarious going on, and hopefully, um, some uh, brave and, and legitimate journalists will ultimately get to the bottom of it. But in the meantime, you know, here we are. Uh, fortunately, case counts are way down. Hospitalizations and deaths from COVID are way down. We're still seeing some, um, and we're now pushing the vaccination onto our children, which I think is a big mistake. We still have the ability to treat with repurposed medication, at least in the United States, which is good. Uh, The trick is to find a doctor that understands how to treat and is willing to do so. And that sometimes can be difficult. Uh, America's Frontline Doctors has a link to some telemedicine docs that will help you with that. Uh, On my website as well, I have the same link, and that's rx for liberty rx for for liberty um, and I have the same link, and people that want to follow me and email me can do so through my website. But the f- April 15th FTC document from the Department of Justice says that treating or you know selling or promoting, this is uh, subject to criminal prosecution. So how could a doctor want to do this? Well, I'm not, I'm not promoting anything. I'm just providing information. So, of course, I don't, I don't offer medical advice. Uh, on the radio, on the phone, uh, et cetera, or on my website. I just provide information. Uh, in order to actually get a physical prescription, you have to establish a doctor-patient relationship. There's a provision for doing so via telemedicine, um, and that's what the link is all about. And I would encourage your listeners to establish a relationship, ideally with your own local doctor. Call up and ask. Call your doctor and say, if I get COVID, will you prescribe hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin? If the answer is no, try to find one locally that understands how to treat this. If you can't do that, that would be the reason to access some of these telemedicine docs uh, that will legally do this for you uh, in the event that you get COVID. And I just want to reaffirm this whole radio show. We do not give medical advice. We're only giving information. It's not medical advice. Always advise that you check with your physician, clinician, and share with other people and, you know, use the information as you would like. Okay. What else would you like to tell our audience? You know, most importantly is um, I want your audience to have hope and to not have fear. I want them to be comfortable knowing that uh, by taking really good care of themselves, eating clean, getting some exercise, measuring their vitamin D level and taking vitamin D if necessary, getting outside and getting some sunshine, uh, that all those things by reducing stress, reducing your cortisol level, puts you in a better position that if you do end up with COVID, you're more likely to, uh, to survive it. Also, I want your listeners to know uh, that we are very good at treating this illness when it's treated early. And so I would encourage everyone listening, another way to reduce the fear is to know that you have somebody you can count on in the event that you get ill. So spend a little time before you need a doctor to find one that understands how to treat 
and you can go on America's Frontline Doctors website or my website and get some additional information about this. But do not live your life in fear. We've already lost a year and change in this crazy world that we live in. It's time to get out back into the public, uh, go uh, support local mom-and-pop businesses, take your mask off, breathe in some oxygen, uh, and, uh, and start enjoying life again. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, anything else you'd like to say? No, that's all, that's all I got. I just really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk to your audience. Again, they can connect with me if they'd like and communicate with me through my website, rxforliberty.com, rxforliberty.com. I wrote a book a while ago that's also available through my website or Amazon, COVID-19, A Physician's Take on the Exaggerated Fear of Coronavirus. Um, and uh, if you want that, through my website or Amazon. And um, I look forward to communicating with your audience. Well, just to summarize everything we've heard, there are early viable treatments for COVID. Um, and, and some, you know... You know, they're not long-term official controls, trial studies, but a lot of anecdotal evidence throughout the world. Some of these populations with large numbers showing hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, vitamin C, vitamin D, and various combinations have been very successful in treating COVID. There are doctors out there like Dr. Brownstein and Dr. Rowan and Dr. Barkey that are out there treating patients successfully with good results and very very few hospitalizations. This is important that we need to be aware of this. And for some reason, the public is being deprived of learning about these. It's not only become political size, it's become criminalized. So uh, that makes me wonder, for example, one source who, who knows, was told that the FDA was told, do not promote vitamin D. And then the pharmaceutical companies will offer you lucrative jobs when you leave the FDA. So there's something afoot. I hope, I mean, if people can just understand that there's a censorship of viable health information that could have saved many, many lives. I mean, we just need to be aware of that. And then whatever questions or conclusions you come to, you know, or whatever, we just need to let people know something ain't right. Exactly. Something something ain't right. So it's time to take control of your own health, not rely on other people. Take really good care of yourself and your loved ones. Try to reduce stress. Turn off the TV. Turn on a little music. Get some exercise. Eat clean. And uh, get yourself a good doc that knows what they're doing as it relates to COVID. Oh, and just to plug my f- documentary, Something Ain't Right with Kevin Sorbo, will be coming out soon. Soon to be censored, like my last film, The Big Secret, who was censored by Congressman Adam Schiff. His MD is apparently more impressive than mine. It was on health and nutrition, not on alternative medicines or vaccines. So anyway, this, these in- this information is available, soon to be censored. Uh, anyway, so look forward to it. Very good. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you bringing me on your show, and hopefully we can talk again in the future. I'm looking forward to it. And everybody, share this information with your colleagues. Do your own research. Make sure you check with your physicians before making any decisions. And above all, be well. Thank you for listening. 
Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.